Father God, thanks that you're here with us and that as we cry out that we're waiting for you, that Lord, we, we, we don't do so passively, but we do so in such a way with eager anticipation and enthusiasm, knowing that as we wait for you, it's not a, an endless wait, it, it will come to an end when we see you face to face. We know in this moment there are folks here who wrestle with even that phrase, we adore you. God, we have a lot going on in life. So I ask and pray and beg that you would allow us to set those things aside so that we might set our affections on you and fix our eyes on Jesus. In his good name I pray. Amen. Amen. Please have a seat. Go to take your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5 this morning. Galatians chapter 5. So, (laughs) here's, here's a seamless transition. Are you ready? You and I are sinners. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? All right, amen, let's go home. Um, Get ready to shovel. Um, So, you and I are sinners, and and, and every single one of us in this room, we've fallen short of the glory of God. We we, we just don't measure up to the holiness that God would require of us. And and, and what what I mean by that isn't You know, we're having a bad day, and so today we're just not as good as we should be. We're having a a bad week, so we, you know, we're we're nosing towards that that level of righteousness that God would expect, but today I've had a couple of setbacks. That's not what I mean. I mean, even on our best day, we got nothing. We're not not even close. And so because of that, what happens is God makes a way for us. God imputes to us, he gives to us, he lays upon us, he credits to us the very righteousness of Jesus Christ, because your righteousness is inadequate. So, so, so even, if, <clears throat> even if you were, you were able to come up with a, a good Christian checklist, and you know exactly what it is that would make you a good Christian and make you a, a perfect believer. And, and you can say, you know, if I did this and this and this, and you had the whole checklist put together, even if you made it to the end of the day with check marks in every box, not falling short in anything on your list, even if that was your righteousness for the day, God would look at your list as a pile of filthy rags, like, like, like putrid medical waste, because your righteousness doesn't hold a candle to the perfection that God would require of us. And so, so because of that, you and I, sinners, who aren't righteous, who can't be righteous in and of ourselves, we, we are going to need a righteousness that goes well beyond our own, and that's what we get in Jesus Christ. See, see Jesus gives us his perfection. He gives us his righteousness. Then, then, then on top of that, or in addition to that, not only does he give us his perfection and his righteousness, but on the cross, Jesus takes the full wrath of God upon himself. The wrath that you and I deserve because, as I began with, because we're sinners. And, and so, so in the cross, we have the, the wrath of God absorbed in Jesus Christ. We have the righteousness of Christ given to us and credited to our account. And in the resurrection, which we celebrate every Sunday, not just happening at the end of March or the beginning of April, 
But in the resurrection, we see what many theologians call the great exchange become complete. We, we see that, that it, the fruition of the promises that Jesus made to us, that when he died on the cross, if we would find ourselves in Christ, we would receive his righteousness. He would take upon his shoulders our sin, and the wrath of God would be absorbed by Christ. Christ would carry our sins to the grave and then rise again from the dead three days later, and forever conquering sin and death. So in that moment of the resurrection, we recognize that we have Christ's righteousness given to us and our sin absorbed in the body of Christ as he hung on the cross. And the most amazing part about all of it, that, that Paul, the bell that Paul has rung over and over again in Galatians, is that you and I did absolutely nothing to earn that or deserve it. Nothing. So the message of the gospel that Paul is preaching throughout Galatians and, and the way that we have defined the gospel in our series is this, the good news that though we were separated from God because of our sin and we were helpless to do anything about it, God loved us and sent his son Jesus Christ who died for us, rose from the grave forever conquering sin and death. See, that's the glorious message of the gospel, and in the book of Galatians, that's the message of freedom. And so today, we are going to look at what Paul is talking about as he mentions freedom. So we're going to be in Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to read the, the first 15 verses of Galatians 5. I'll encourage you just to follow along in your Bible with me there. And then we'll go back and kind of walk through it and unpack it. So Galatians chapter 5, Paul says this to the Galatians. For freedom, Christ has set us free. So stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the entire law. You're then severed from Christ, you who, who would be justified by the law. You've fallen away from grace, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. And you, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Now, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish that those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. More on that later. <laughs> For you were called to freedom, brothers, but don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. So, so Paul <clears throat> doesn't pull any punches again. He's jumping in and he's saying, listen, Galatians, you need to understand Freedom is yours. 
It's yours. It's, it's in your hands. It is for you. Verse 1 talks about, it sounds a little funny, for freedom Christ has set us free. What does that mean? It means you have been set free from an empty religion that doesn't bring you hope, that doesn't bring you joy. You've been set free. For freedom, you have been set free. You have been set free from the reje- fear of rejection from God. So, so let me, let me <clears throat> hit that. That's actually it's kind of the, the thing that launched in us into this series quite by accident, honestly. It, it, is that at the beginning of the series, I asked the question, this is not a very profound question, but the question, how many of us think or believe with our whole heart that we're loved by God? And, and, and honestly, almost every one of us in this room would raise our hand to that question. I believe that God loves me. I know Jesus loves me because the Bible tells me so. We could sing the song together. I won't lead it. Somebody else would definitely want to do that. But then it gets a little tricky. Because the next question is, so, but uh, you, you know God loves you. But do you know God likes you? Do you know that God accepts you? And, and we, we did raise hands the first week to, to kind of check that out. And there was a much different number raising their hands at that moment. And what Paul is saying through the book of Galatians is this. In Jesus Christ, you can be free from the fear of rejection of God. In Jesus Christ, you can be free from the anxiety and the exhaustion that comes from trying to earn favor with God. Because favor from God is already yours in Jesus Christ. So you've been set free. So he then says, stand firm. Don't go back. Don't do it. That's our our inclination is to start working for it again. He says, don't allow yourselves to become enslaved in this again. And then then he starts going at the Galatians again. Listen, you you want to go back to the the whole idea of circumcision? Just by way of view, what's happening is the the Judaizers have come in, and the the Judaizers are teaching that the, 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 the Galatians, though they love Jesus and have put their faith in Jesus, that they must also be circumcised in order to please God. The, the idea is that's just a representation of the entire law. What the Judaizers were saying is you must follow the law in order to please God. So they're saying Jesus plus obedience to the law equals salvation. That's a, that's a significant problem, and he actually says that here in verse 2. He says, listen, if you want to accept circumcision, Christ is of no advantage to you at all. That means He's of no eternal value to you. Because what you've just done is you've just said salvation is Jesus plus the law equals, well, guess what? Jesus plus the law equals nothing. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. But Jesus plus the law equals nothing because it ceases to be Jesus then. We believe in, uh, that salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. So, so it's like the number one. The number one remains the number one until you add anything to it. Then it ceases to be number one. It's now, if you take one and add to one, this is deep. Look, two. Ah! It's amazing. I don't know what just happened. Right? Similarly, Jesus plus anything else ceases to be Jesus alone. And it ceases to be the gospel. So, so, so Paul's saying, you, if you still believe that, that, that you're going to follow circumcision and the acts of the law to find acceptance in God's eyes, then you don't need Jesus. And that just scares me even to say. Because he's of no eternal value to you. 
And then verse 3 continues, says, but, but let me be clear, you don't get to just pick circumcision in addition to Jesus. No, if you decide you're going with the law as your justification before God, the law as what brings you acceptance in God's eyes, then you must obey the entire law. Everything. You can't just choose a convenient part of it. Hey, today, today, today I'm not going to murder anybody. But I may have to lie because I still have that snowblower of his, but I want to use it this week. I thought I'd return that to you. I really hope none of you borrowed anybody's snowblower and still have it because that would be really awkward. <laughs> It'd be hilarious, and you should take that as a message from God. Um, <laughs> you don't get to choose. If you're going to lean on the law to bring you your acceptance in God's eyes, then you have to go all in. All 613 points of the law. Now think about that for a minute. If there's 613 laws that you must follow in order to gain acceptance in God's eyes, what is your spirit like at the end of the day when you put your head on the pillow? I... Okay, so it's probably safe to assume if there's 613 laws, you don't remember 450 of them. So there's this living and I may have just broken the law. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. Did I? Did I not? So, so let me share this illustration with you. So my kids love to play this game that I abhor. I absolutely despise this game. And, and there's a reason for that. Part of it's because I, I just don't like games. And the reason I don't like games is because I'm a terrible loser. I'll, I'll picture that for you just so you can understand that I'm not speaking hyperbole here. My wife and I, before the kids came, decided that we would uh, go mini-golfing. So we went mini-golfing. We went a number of times, and I was, I don't want to brag, but I was killing her. That was amazing. And then one day she beat me. I was like, what? That was a fluke. I was off my game. No big deal. So we went mini-golfing again. She beat me again. I was like, stop it. (laughs) So I was like, all right, this won't happen again. This will not happen again. She's beat me twice. No, she will not beat me again. So we go the next time. She beats me again. This time, I had brought my own putter. Because I was convinced it was the putter's fault. But no, she whooped me again. And so we don't mini-golf anymore. And if you think I'm joking, ask my wife. We just don't do it. I'm not going to lose again. So, so that's why I don't like games very much. A little too competitive, I think. My kids love this card game called Mao. Nobody's ever heard of it, because it ain't a real game. I'm convinced of that. I have never played it, because it gives me heart palpitations just watching. The only rule is you can't tell anybody the rules. Right, Amber? Did I say that right? Okay. There are, this morning in first service, I said there were no rules. She's like, actually, there are rules. Just one. You can't tell anybody the rules. How do you play that game? When you, you have a handful of cards, <laughs> I watch it happen. You have a handful of cards, and it's like, all right, I'm not sure what the rules are, so I'm just going to sit here quietly. And then all of a sudden, they start grabbing cards and throwing them in your hand, like, bam, there's five extra cards. What did I do? Here's four more. I, I didn't do anything. Well, you're not allowed to not do anything. That's one of the rules. Okay. Huh. All right, 
turn comes around again, you got a handful of cards, and you're like, so what do I do? Bam! Five more cards. You're not allowed to talk. What? When you don't know the rules, it irritates the fire out of you. If you don't know you've possibly broken a rule, it's just it's this anxiety. And I got to experience that, that very same anxiety this morning on my way to church. It was very early. It was very dark. I was driving a car I'm not necessarily familiar with, driving on Trevanion Road. There was nobody on the road except for one car away in front of me. And I'm, I was doing the speed limit. I spit all over the place, sorry. I was doing the speed limit. I want everybody to know I was doing the speed limit. I was not disobeying any laws that I know of. And uh, I'm, I'm driving, and I'm like, man, I'm catching up to that car. And I'm, I'm, the speed limit's 40. I'm doing like 42, but all right. I'm going, going, going. And I get just close enough to the car to realize, oh, that's a county sheriff's car. Praise the Lord. I'm about to meet one of my heroes at 5.30 in the morning. I'm like, uh. And I'm behind him. I'm like, no big deal, no big deal, no big deal. No big deal. I know I'm doing the speed limit. No big deal. And then he pulls over and puts his blinker on. So I go around him, thinking, oh, he must just be doing something here. That's cool. Excuse me, sir. And I was. So <laughs> I keep driving and then <laughs> look in the rearview mirror and here it comes. Like, oh, no. Now in my head, I'm not <laughs> I'm thinking, I've done nothing wrong. I think. Were my high beams on? Was I driving too fast? No, I wasn't driving too fast. Wait a minute. I wasn't driving too fast. I don't know how this car works. It said 42. What if the speedometer's wrong? And he's gaining on me, and I'm like, oh, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And I'm freaking out because I don't know if I broke the law. I did not break the law. He did not pull me over. I prayed for him after he drove away. <laughs> I prayed a lot before he drove away, too, but for different things. Um, <laughs> but, but, but it was like, okay, that was weird, but, but it brings back that Mao game. I don't know if I broke the rules. And, and though you may not have ever played Mao, I'm sure you've been in the seat of the car when a police car is behind you. And even if you're doing the speed limit, doesn't that... <gasps> if you're going to rely on the law for your justification, you've got to follow the whole thing. All 613 points of it. How does that cause your soul to feel? Anxious, fearful, doubtful. Particularly when you understand that when you fail in the law, which you will because that was the law's purpose to drive us to repentance as we became more aware of our sinfulness. So when you fail in the law, there's only one punishment. Condemnation. The law will crush you. The law will crush you because the law doesn't bring about it grace with it. it. It just brings about the death sentence. Now, what Paul says in verses 4 and 5 is that through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for that hope of righteousness. That's grace. We, we wait for that day we'll see Jesus face to face. We wait for that day when the, 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 the imputation of Christ's righteousness and perfection is complete and it's consummated and it's actually given to us in person as we walk into the presence of God. And, and he says that's grace. So in grace, we know we fail. We know we fall down. We know we've broken the rules. We, we know we've disobeyed the law. We, we know we've sinned against God. And, then, and, and we may see our sinfulness and others will see our sinfulness as well. But we can find comfort because grace tells us that that righteousness is given to us. 
and you can't do anything to earn it. And if you're in Jesus Christ, you can't do anything to unearn it. So then he goes to verse 6. He says, listen, in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. He says, listen, it doesn't matter what you do or what you don't do. It accomplishes nothing for you. No matter how big it may be, no matter how small it may be, when we take one of those pieces of the law and try to superimpose it on top of the life of a believer, what we have just done by mandating that people follow the law in addition to following Jesus Christ, what we have just done is undermined the gospel. We've just communicated that the gospel is based on your merit and not on grace. But what the gospel actually is, is God being a gracious, loving God who would look at you, call you, and all of your baggage, his. And so, so let, me, let, me, let me hit this real quick because at the end of verse 6, he says it's only faith working through love. The natural response of that must be that we are serving other people through love. It's faith that demonstrates itself in the love of other people. And, and so, so what ends up happening is, is, is when Jesus loves you and God loves you, it's not like you're, and I won't name TV shows, but, but picture this. You're not like one of those uh, snooty brides who just sits in their really nice house because they're married to this guy who just dotes on them and dumps gifts on them all the time. And they just accumulate and accumulate and accumulate and accumulate. That's not the picture of what it means to be the bride of Christ. The picture of the bride of Christ is to experience the love of God through Jesus Christ and then that love is duplicated in you as you see other people who are in need of God's love through Jesus Christ. It's, it's in and then it's out. The freedom is a result of your, your emptiness finally being filled full. It's no longer empty. You're no longer exhausting yourself trying to fill yourself because in Jesus Christ, God has filled you full. So, so Paul says to the Galatians, this is an amazing freedom that you have, and yet you continue to be enslaved to the law. You continue to run back to the law. You've been freed from that enslavement to sin. You've been freed from the enslavement of the law. What happened? That's verse 7. You were running so well, picture the race that he mentions here in verse 7. You were running so well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? That, that word literally is who has crept in on your lane. So if you're running in a track meet and you're in a single lane, somebody has crept in and forced you out of your lane and now your race is all messed up and now you're all off your game. And he says that to them. He says, you, you were doing so well. What happened? Who, who crept in on you? Who crept in on you? It was these people that he compares to leaven. Verse 9. Leaven is yeast. Think about it as yeast. It's small. It's insignificant. But it's growing. Contagious. Malignant. Saturating. So at some point when you talk, start with this, this lump of dough. And you put just a little bit of leaven in it. You, you could probably be like, okay, the leaven's here, the rest of the dough's free from leaven. But give it just a little time, and that leaven leavens that entire lump of dough. So you can't tell which part you started with, which part you didn't start with, and the whole thing is now leavened bread. What Paul says is these externalists, these Judaizers who are coming in and enforcing you to, to obey the law in addition to Jesus Christ are like leaven. And they may not be as obvious sometimes, but then they spread and their poison spreads, and the cancer spreads until it's everywhere. So our, our modern-day leavenists, we see them everywhere. We see them, they're given to, to intimidation, 
They're given to fear-mongering. They, they love to argue. They love to tear apart anybody who disagrees with them. They will, they will take anybody to task who has a different viewpoint from them and in so doing call them spiritually immature because obviously they're the mature ones. The modern-day Levinists are spiritual abusers, and they exist. They attempt to control people with seeds of fear and doubt. Man, I'm telling you, I know you trust in Jesus, and I know you love grace, and I love grace too, and Jesus is great. However, if you don't do this, then... And as Paul views their message, he's not happy. I need to read to you a couple of verses before I jump into this next point. Out of 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 16, it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the, the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It's a beautiful passage, isn't it? Every word that is in the Bible is inspired by God, breathed out by God, and it's profitable, it's beneficial to every single one of us in this room, and it's beneficial in a number of different ways. For teaching, it teaches us. For reproof, it, it, it rebukes us. For correction, it, it allows us to get our course back on where it's supposed to be, and for training in righteousness. So the Word of God is inspired by God for those things, right? I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Yes, it is exactly what it sounds like. Um, so, what in the world is Paul doing? What Paul says is this. Those who have come into Galatia and said, okay, what you need to do, Jesus, that's great, but what you need to do is take a scalpel, take a knife, and you need to, to, to enact circumcision. What he says is those ones who are coming in and preaching circumcisers, who are uh, preaching circumcision, who are, who are holding the knife, I hope that knife slips on them. Yes, ouch is the right word. Absolutely, brother. <laughs> Paul's pulling no punches here. I tell you what, I have said some crazy things from the pulpit. I have never said that about somebody. I mean, you would expect Paul to, hey, he's angry, he's upset, he sees the damage these people are doing, so maybe he'll break out one of the imprecatory psalms with the prayers. He's like, Lord, would you just push them in the hole that they have dug for me? Would you, would you cease them from advancing? Would you, just, would you take their life from them? Would you remove the breath from them? Paul says, no, 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 no. I wish they would emasculate themselves. Pretty, not vulgar, pretty direct. I've told you Paul is angry. Do you hear it now? This isn't a Christmas card. I mean, if it is, don't send me your Christmas cards. <laughs> Paul's torqued. Why? Because Paul's kingdom is being ruined? Absolutely not. Paul is livid because these men have come in and done the unthinkable. They have emptied the gospel of its power. And Paul said, we, we, we're not going to allow that to happen. Oh, absolutely not. 
This is the, the, the message of a hope is the gospel that Jesus Christ and Christ alone has bought my ransom. Jesus Christ and Christ alone has paid for my sin. Jesus Christ and Christ alone is what makes me acceptable in God's eyes. Nothing else in these have come in and they have perverted the message of the gospel. It'd be easier to preach if Paul would have followed up that statement by saying, and may those men be accursed. Now, may they do extreme physical harm to themselves because that's what they deserve. Do you think Paul wants to, 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 to keep safe? What does Paul want to keep safe? Is Paul trying to, to protect the truth? No. Paul is trying to protect the sheep. The truth is the truth. It doesn't need us to put our arms around and be like, oh, don't let me do that. No, the truth is the truth. The sheep are the ones who get sucked into some of these things. And that's all of us. Paul says, no, this is significant. This is severe. And may the ones who are preaching this gospel to you that is a false gospel, may they emasculate themselves. Because you're not enslaved to the law. You've been set free. Now, a natural outworking of that thought that you have been set free is, is the idea of cool, and I can sit back and relax because I can do whatever I want. The theological term is antinomianism. That means there is no law. I can do whatever I want because, hey, I'm under grace, and Jesus will just forgive me, so whatever, game on, this is awesome. And Paul deals directly with that, and he says, no, no, freedom is yours to serve other people with. Don't, don't be deceived. You have been called, verse 13 says. You have been summoned and urgently invited not to spend on yourself and do whatever you want, but to love other people as you love yourself. Look at, look at 13. You, you're called to freedom, but don't use your freedom as an opportunity to the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So, so don't be deceived. Don't be confused. <clears throat> this isn't a command to love yourself. This isn't God saying, oh, you must love yourself. No, what he's saying is actually, it's a, it's a confession of sorts that loving ourselves isn't that difficult. We already do that enough. And so as you would care for your own self, as you would love your own self and watch out for your own self, what he says is the law is fulfilled when you take that care, concern, and love and apply it to other people. He says it means as much as you want what is good for you, you want what is good for other people. You want a new job? in your heart and your soul, do you want a new job? Then look around at others who would want the same thing or need the same thing, and may you have the same guttural desire for them to have a new job. That's what it means to love others as you love yourself. Do, 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 do you want a meal? Are you hungering? Then look around and see others who who desperately need a meal, and take that, that, that passion for another meal for yourself and have the same passion for another person who needs that meal and, and want it just as badly for them. You, you, you want to feel loved and accepted? Then look at somebody else and understand they want to be loved, they want to be accepted, and, and attempt to love them and accept them the way that you want. Husbands, you want to be loved by your wives, you want your, your wives to respect you, then you had better love and respect her as well because that's what you're supposed to do when you love others as you love yourself. Wives, it's a two-edged sword. You want your husband to love you? Then, then with all the passion that you want to be loved with, love him. 
You, 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 we want joy and happiness. As much as you want joy and happiness, seek to live in such a way that'll bring joy and happiness to somebody else. That's what it means to, to love them like you would love yourself. It means to, to use all the creativity and use all the energy and all the perseverance you can muster to do good things for others that you use to do good things for yourself. Care about what happens to other people as much as you care about what happens to yourself. Can you imagine if we lived like that? I mean, this place would be transformed. The, the world would be turned upside down. And, and, and the argument goes, and, and we'll apply it to not Uniontown, but we'll apply it to the community. So, so there are people at the bottom of this hill, and again, if you're here and you live at the bottom of the hill, I don't mean you directly, I apologize for what I'm about to say. But there's people off this hill are just plain difficult to love. Okay, I'll apply it to Uniontown. There are people here at Uniontown who are just difficult to love sometimes. So, do you want to know how you can love other people the best way possible? You can love people the best way possible by loving God more than anything else. You love people best when you love God most. Because our our love for other people is motivated out of this freedom that we have. And the freedom that we have is a result of the confidence that we have after we've been loved and accepted by God. And because of that, we love him. Please get that right. We have been loved and accepted by God. And because of that, we love him. Nobody in this room started their journey by loving God first. It wasn't like, you know, I think I'm going to have an affection for God. I'm going to love God a lot. No, no, no. None of us in this room started off our journey with Christ by loving God first. 1 John 4.10, this is love. Not that we loved him, but that God loved us and sent his son. And when you understand fully what it means that God loved you and sent his son, all the implications in all of your life, then, then that caused you and continues to cause you to love him more than any other. The freedom that we have from fear, from self-doubt, that when we know that in Jesus Christ God loves us and God even likes us. So if we were to take that freedom and we were to look around us and we would see men and women and boys and girls who are just, I mean, they are struggling. They are, they're working hard as they wrestle with that same insecurity, with that same self-doubt, with that same fear. But if we looked at those people, and instead of looking at them as the outsiders, because they're outside of Christ and we're inside Christ, and we got it all good. Instead, if we would look at them the way that we're being called to look at them, look at them through the eyes of freedom, not freedom that we get to sit on, but freedom we get to share with them. If we were to run out and serve them and love them and share with them about freedom, we're fulfilling what it is that Paul's called us to, loving our neighbors as ourselves. We're almost enslaved to them, to their need to, to, to experience freedom in Jesus Christ. I mean, if you've been paying attention, the message of Galatians is really simple. The message, message of Galatians is you, you, you have been loved. I mean, God loved you. He sent his son for you. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, we brought nothing good to the table. God brought all the good, and we just happened to be in the right place, and God chose us, and it's good. 
God loved us. The message of Galatians continues, you have been justified. The idea is this, in the holy courtroom of heaven, God the judge sits behind the bench with gavel in hand, and when your case comes before him, he takes that holy gavel and he slams it on the desk and says, not guilty. Wait, 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 hold on, I'm guilty though. Oh no, in Jesus Christ you have been justified, just as if you'd never sinned. And while those are great, I mean, God loves you and you are justified, those are awesome, but the goosebump moment comes when you understand that God has adopted you, that God has made you his son and his daughter with all the rights and privileges of being a child, not a, not a child of a wealthy man down the road, but a child of the most high God who created everything we see. You have been adopted, and that's freedom. You've been loved, you've been justified, you've been adopted. And so, so when that comes into perspective, it motivates you in your ability to do the unthinkable. You're then free to love other people, even the difficult, even the, the downright unlovable. We've been loved to love. We've been redeemed to redeem. We've been set free, not to sit back and just soak in the freedom. No, we have been set free to set free. Let me, let me share a couple of quick verses with you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, it says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, the one who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now, full disclosure, I'm aware that verse 4 is, she sells seashells by the seashore. But if you take a moment just to look at that verse, God comforts us in the midst of our affliction in order that we might be able to comfort other people in their affliction. And we don't bring our wisdom or our ability to the table in that moment. We're able to bring them the comfort that God himself brought to us. We comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by God. See, you have been set free, not, not just to, to, to live in Carroll County. You've been set free not just to live in PG County or up in Pennsylvania. It doesn't matter where you live. You haven't been set free just to come to church on Sunday and then leave. You have been set free to serve other people with the comfort that you have experienced yourself. That's what 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20 says. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. What Paul says is, listen, this gift we have received in Jesus Christ, it isn't ours just to be like, ooh, I got a gift, yahoo. No, it's for you to serve other people. It's for you to be an ambassador of that same message, that message of freedom that you've received. The freedom from, I don't know, what does the board talk about out there? Freedom from anxiety? The freedom from drugs? The freedom from alcohol? The freedom from the fear of man? The freedom from porn? Those are all real 
freedoms. And, and I've said this in the last couple of weeks, and I'll say it again. It, those are a representation of the reality in our hearts. And the reality is this. Every single one of us in this room is an addict. Nobody here is not an addict. Because addiction is when you run to, flee to, strive for anything for satisfaction in your life besides God. It's just sometimes the addictions are a little more obvious. We have been set free. We're free to struggle. You know why? Because God's not looking for a perfect saint who never struggles to let into heaven. God's looking for the sinner who confesses they're a sinner, who admits that they're struggling, and leans wholly on Jesus' acceptance of them through the finished work on the cross. You've been set free. And so, so if you're struggling to love other people, then maybe you need to spend some time reflecting on where Jesus found you. Maybe we need to remember what he set you free from. I know there's not a ton on the board right now. We haven't done a great job pushing the board, and that's fine. There's a lot of kids' artwork. It's fantastic. But maybe as you consider what it is that Jesus has set you free from, you'd write on the board so it might be an encouragement to other people. We have been set free to love others. So with that in mind, may we use our freedom to love and serve other people in a way that pictures the love of Jesus Christ well. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's true. I thank you that it contains the word of life. It's, it's, it's good for anything that we need for, for life, for faith, for practice. God, I thank you that it's all in here. I thank you for the message of redemption that we find, the message of freedom that we find in Jesus Christ. And I pray for those folks who I love who are sitting here in front of me. God, those who have never come to know Jesus Christ, Lord, I ask that your spirit would draw them to you, that they would understand that, that there is nothing that they have done that has driven them too far away from you, and there is nothing that they have done that has made them better in your eyes, but every single one of them needs a Savior, and his name is Jesus. God, would you save some here this morning? And for those who have known you a long time, who have wrestled with freedom, who have wrestled with with legalism, who have wrestled with whatever it might be, God, would you give them grace in this moment? Would you remind them of what it is that you've set them free from? And then may they have their eyes open to the people around them in this room. May they serve other people in a way they never have before. Yeah. God, I, I pray that you would do a wonderful work through us, your people, here at Uniontown Bible Church. It's in Jesus' good name I pray. Amen.